0: This is show business. This is what they do not show you when you see everyone walking around looking glitzy and glamorous on the red carpet. They don't show you the behind the scenes where things are a little janky. Debbie, how are you? Can you hear me?
1: I can. Can you see me?
0: Yes, I can.
1: Yeah. You hey. are here. Oh, my gosh. What a panic. How you doing?
0: Yes, you are. No, we were going to get this to work.
1: Oh my gosh. Uh, I was trying to do it on my computer and then I was being told that the thingy was going to my phone and then I got logged out Then I had to reset my password,
0: yada, yada, yada. Yeah. Yeah. For some reason, Instagram will not let you do live video from your computer. You can only do it from your phone. I'm oh, hoping. Yeah. I'm hoping that in the future they'll add that because you can do live from your phone, from your, from your um, computer. On Facebook,
1: right?
0: You know, so you would think that that would just be something that they would allow you to do here as well because Facebook owns Instagram. So, but I am so glad you're here. I'm so glad to
1: be here. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, and it is
0: it is so good to finally see you in person.
1: Thank you. You Because
0: once again, you know, another clubhouse clubhouse voice given form. (laughs) So ladies and gentlemen, we are going to get started. I am uh, Floyd Marshall Jr. And welcome to a conversation with, and I am joined by the amazing four-time Emmy award winning. If she had won two more, she'd have a Michael Jordan hand, but (laughs) four-time award winning filmmaker, Deborah Richards. Now I'm just going to read a little bit of her bio to give you a small background on some of the things that this amazing woman has done. Deborah Richards is a four-time regional Emmy award winner and creative storyteller with 30 plus years of experience in the digital arts. Her work over the decades has spanned from the dawn of the digital audio revolution as a musician, a studio engineer, in her teens to consulting, directing, and creating for some of the largest Brands in the world today. Now, as an innovative filmmaker, Deborah has worked in a variety of roles, including writer, director, DP, or director of photography, editor, visual effects artist, colorist, sound designer, production designer, and camera girl. Her passion lies in emotionally connecting the story or brand to her audience. Originally from across the pond, or England, I should say. Mm-hmm. She's a former five-time world bartending champion, long-time Las Vegas resident, dog owner, and passionate advocate for the arts, and she is currently putting the finishing touches on, which which is probably done, on her debut feature film, Move Me No Mountain, which is scheduled for release in the summer of 2022, and in addition to developing several feature film projects and working as a freelance director in Hollywood, so that's just a very small portion of who this woman is. Deborah, welcome to a conversation with, how are you?
1: Thank you. I'm, I'm flustered after that, trying to get in and stuff, but <laughs> I'm, I'm so glad to be here and it's my first Instagram live. So, um, but I'm doing good. Life is good. I'm blessed. How are you? Good,
0: good. good. I, you know what? I am phenomenal. I am awesome. I have absolutely no complaints. And if I did, no one's listening. So what's the point in complaining, <laughs> So that, you know, so whatever. <music> welcome to a conversation with where we sit down with some amazing people in the film media and entrepreneurial space we're going to talk about what makes them successful and hopefully we'll give you something to help you maximize your business but more importantly to maximize your life so sit back and enjoy a conversation with And I'm your host, Floyd Marshall Jr. So let's get into this. So you have been in this business for 30 years.
1: Well, uh, kind of. Yeah, yes and no. I mean... Kind
0: of? Well, how did it start? Where did you start
1: well, I, I got a video camera in about 1980, 1981. And it was like a big VHS video camera. And I, I guess even before that, I was watching, you know, the Muppets and like as a kid making um, Muppets. And so I started there and then I got a video camera and then as a musician, so, you know, in the eighties, so, <laughs> excuse me, so I uh, was, you know, using sequencers and samplers at the beginning of digital music revolution. Then I got into Photoshop, and then in like 1988, I built my first website. And so, throughout my life, I've been playing with, um, you know, uh, digital media, and and kind of I grew up with the whole um, desktop publishing and digital revolution in the background of my life, and uh, and I was kind of always there at each kind of um, advancement along that path. So about. 15 years ago, I owned a bar and I was, um, you know, given the task of making the flyers and the little animated MySpace ads. And then I took photos of the drinks and the food. Then I started directing commercials for the bar. Then someone said, you should go to film school. And and kind of all these different skills along the way throughout my life just kind of culminated in film school. And uh, that's where I won four Emmys. And then that launched my career. And so I've been a freelance writer, director, and editor now for going on 15 years. And I feel like I'm finally at the starting line of my career.
0: Wow. So you owned a bar.
1: Yeah. Don't Ed, ever own a bar.
0: Don't ever own a bar.
1: Why don't not? Don't ever own a bar. It's a lot of work. I mean, we, we had a 24-hour bar in Vegas. And yeah, so, you know, fill in the blanks. Everything that could possibly happen, happened. And you know when 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 you're looking to go home at four a.m. on on a Monday night, that's when the you know bathrooms overflow. Whatever you know, and you know you you would be trying to get home at six a.m. in the morning, and that's when someone that you haven't seen in ten years walks into the bar and says, "Hey, I'm here." You, you know, so um, it's just a, a a bar in Vegas, a twenty-four hour bar in Vegas is crazy.
0: Wow. So we're going to take a little sidestep from filmmaking, and we're going to talk about this bar. <laughs> why did you decide to open a bar?
1: Well, uh, once upon a time, I was a um, flair bartender. I threw bottles around for a living, and that kind of took me around the world. I competed like 50 times, five countries, in Vegas called, and that's how I ended up in Vegas. And then uh, one night after um, bartending the script for about four years, uh, a bartender friend of mine said to me, Hey, you want to open a bar? I said, Sure
0: and not really thinking about it. And the next thing I knew, we owned a bar. Oh, wow. So, yes. so, so tying it to filmmaking, do you think that all of the different situations that you dealt with being a bar owner has helped you in your filmmaking career? Let's say if a, if a problem arose, having dealt with what you dealt with as a bar owner, has that helped you be a better filmmaker?
1: Oh, absolutely. And and it's not just like being a bar owner. I mean, when I owned a bar, I was, you know, in charge of people, but I've always been in charge of people in different roles and stuff. Like even before the bar, I was in charge of all the bars and bartenders at the Rio um, flare program that's say like 25 bars and 105 bartenders. And, you, you know, even going back to my teens, I, I was very entrepreneurial. So it's that um, combination of having to be a problem solver and that combination of having to manage people and and also bartending uh, particularly, because um, when you're a bartender, you're always like cracking jokes and entertaining. And you know, there's two ways to manage people, right? There's the stick and the carrot. And mm. so you learn that kind of balance and, and you learn to do it with humor um, because uh, filmmaking can be really difficult and it, be, it can be kind of grueling and it can be really stressful. So, if you can kind of um, you know make people smile and laugh and and you know onboard them with humor, then then people are a lot more willing to jump on board and go along the journey
0: that's beautiful now i I was listening to a couple of interviews that you did, and you talked about
1: um, <laughs> <eyes>. <laughs> I, I'm,
0: I'm, I, I I did my research but you 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 talked about when you got into engineering. And I thought that that was a very interesting story. So so, so, so share that with my audience because I, I want them to understand, you know, how many different paths you can take to end up where you've ended up.
1: Right, right, well, well, wow. Yeah, I mean, life is a river, right? Everyone's journey is completely unique and individual. Are you talking about the story of the bag with all the, the cables? Yes. Okay, so I was about, um, I think I was about 16 or 17, and there was a local recording studio, and I wanted to get a job there. And um, I couldn't afford any of the kind of musical equipment that was coming out in like the early to mid-80s. I mean, back then, the Synclavio was the big piece of technology, which was a, 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 a sample that people like Frankie Goes Hollywood would use and stuff. And I think at the time, it was like $25,000 at the time back then. So there was no way I had any access to this kind of stuff. So um, I saved up all my money one summer and I, I basically bought all the cables, like audio cables and audio connectors that I could afford. And so I got like phono jacks and stereo to mini jacks and, and power cables and, and just audio cables and uh any combination of any kind of audio cable possible. And I and I had like um a rocket ball bag, like a uh a, a a rectangular racquetball bag and it was just stuffed through through full of cables. And I went to the local recording studio in England and where I grew up and I said to them, Hey, uh, I'd love to get a job here and I have all my own cables. And it was a um it was a commercial studio where they would like uh um, work with different bands every couple days. And quite often these bands would need you know, they'd forget a cable or
0: they'd mm. need a,
1: you know, so I got the job basically because I had a whole bag full of cables.
0: Wow, I was wondering about that, but you tied that up. So, you you basically made yourself valuable,
1: right? And that's 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 you know, and I've I've done that over and over again in the past when I've I've needed to you know find an end. You know, or, or I've had, you know, worked in, within a corporation and, and, you know, made myself valuable within that corporation by uh, carving out a niche for myself, you know. And that, that, that's a common strategy that I've, I've used through my life to, to, to get in places where I couldn't, mm-hmm. you know, to basically, there's an old advertising adage, right? And it goes like, to, to be noticed in a room full of people screaming, whisper. And to be noticed in a room full of people whispering, scream. So basically, if you want to stand out from the crowd, don't do what the crowd's doing, you know? And, and that lesson was actually learned in the recording studio because there'd be these local bands coming in from all over England and it would be a band that sounded like The Cure or a band that sounded like Zeppelin. And they're like, what do you think our chances are of making it? And After working with all these different bands, I'm like, well, you sound like The Cure, so what's The Edge? Because The Cure's The Cure. Or well, you sound like Zeppelin, so what's The Edge? Zeppelin, Zeppelin. So I learned, you know, at an early age kind of thing that, um, you know, to stand out in the crowd, you've you, you got to be a little different. You've got to think different and you've got to do different. And so whether it's showing up to a job interview with a bag of cables or, 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 or whether it's, you know, now showing up to uh, um, a group of directors of photography and I show up with lights that I made from scratch, you know, whatever it is, you've you, you got to have that edge that separates you from the crowd.
0: So now, reading your bio, you've done a lot of different things within the industry. And from my understanding, you you did those things because you had to. So talk about right. that a little bit. Basically, sure. went on your on your films?
1: Yeah, well, it all started at film school because, uh, so at film school, like, well, even before film because I started like doing some shorts and stuff, and it's like, well, I wanna direct and shoot a short, but I don't have a short to shoot. So I had to write something to shoot, right? So so bang, there I'm a writer. Okay. Even though I wanted to be a director, by necessity I had to be a writer. And then I was like, Well now I've shot it, now I've got to put it together and I don't have any budget for an editor, so I'll edit it. And and so <laughs> You know, just by, you know, having to to get these things done because I didn't, you know, no one really has access to ridiculous amounts of money to pay people to get things done when you're starting on on a path of film. Or if you do, you're very, very blessed and and what a wonderful thing. But uh, most most of us mortals, we we don't have access to, like, Hollywood money and stuff. And so for me, during the learning path, it was vital that uh, you know I learned how to do things so I could just get it done. Because you know, before I knew what a gaffer does or what a DP does or what a key grip does, before I even knew those things, I knew that I had to get my film made. And I didn't know that there were all these different department heads and stuff. I just knew that I had to get this made. And so I would do whatever it took to get it made.
0: Mm.
1: And so out of that was born this kind of, uh, Plus, also, I I, I love learning, right? It's one of the things I love doing. I just love learning about anything, about people, about, you know, society, politics, gardening, anything. I love learning, right? And so, you know, and I love film. I've always been an insane cinephile. So, you know, as I started this journey and went through it, it was just, you know, my voracious appetite for learning that kind of kept getting me into each of these different um, departments. And... And it's and it's you know, it's done me so many favours because uh, now when I have these conversations with my department heads or other people, not only do I have their respect because I've done it and I know what I'm talking about, but it also means that I can really expedite efficiently my conversation with them, my communication with them. And I and I know what, what, what can and can't be done. Like this right. no point in me saying to a drone pilot, Hey, I need you to fly a foot off the ground because I know that the drone would automatically land. I know this mm-hmm. because I fly a drone. So, so you know, knowing all these department heads has not only, you know, really established my uh, sorry, knowing all these departments not only established my seat at the table, but it's really aided me in communicating fluidly with, um, you know, my team.
0: Now, I want st- to I want to stay with this for a second because this is a male dominated business white male dominated business and with you being a woman in this male dominated business right. knowing every single aspect of how a film works mm-hmm. knowing the language has that stood you in good stead when you've run across an individual who may have tried to come on your production and run rough shot and take it over. Oh, you're just, you're just a girl. that
1: that never happens, purely because Mm -hmm. they never make it that far, right? Oh. Um, You know, I'm I'm, I'm the one driving the bus, so I get to choose the team. And nine times out of 10, uh, the people on my team are people that I've worked with before, 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 right, you know, my friends from film school and my crew today. And one thing that I'm really eager to do with every single production is take a new person onto the team. Who um, maybe doesn't have very much experience, but has all the passion in the world. Mm-hmm. And usually, I try and pick someone who's un- underrepresented in society, and, and bring them onto the, into into the fold. And that's my way of um, doing my bit for uh, you know championing, championing diversity. But um, you know, people who try and run the show on 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 one of my shows. They, they they don't even make it onto the set because I pick up on it pretty quick in the in the in the pre-production process, and and that's just not gonna fly. Everyone knows I'm the boss, so it's just <laughs> not gonna it's just not gonna fly. So uh, so there's that. But I do have to say to your point about it being a male-dominated industry, that um, I you know even with all my accolades, right? I just I just got um, voted Nevada Woman Filmmaker of the Year. I got four Emmys. Thank you. I got uh, two certificates of commendation from the state senator Harry Reid for so my contributions to film. I've got tons of awards. I've got um, my last short has had fifty-seven festival honors in the last uh, fourteen months. Wow. So, uh, and, and it seems like I get awards every every couple weeks or whatever. So it's it's a you know I've, I've I've got and I'm very grateful and very blessed and very humbled by by all of this, but even with all that, okay, I still feel that i'm overlooked for opportunities and that even in my local community of las vegas there are male filmmakers out there who um don't invite me to come and join and play in their playpen right even though i keep putting it out there that hey i would love to collaborate with you hey i'd love to help you i'd love to come i'll carry your bags on set for you and these are these are peers these aren't people that are like way up on a pedestal that i'm trying to reach these are just peers. And and I don't get those calls, and I don't get those. You know, I'm 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 all, I saying, right? I'm always down to clown, and yet I don't get those calls from the local male filmmaking community. And I can only assume it's. I mean, you tell me why?
0: Well, it's interesting. We we had a conversation on Clubhouse. Friday no I'm sorry Tuesday talking of, along these lines of the um, the haters and 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 sometimes in my and just my humble opinion when someone has accomplished as much as you have and you have others looking at you that's where the haterate comes in because they feel threatened that if you were to come on the scene, you're going to take what what they've built. But my thing is, you can't take what I've built because I've built it. You can only add to it. I mean, so that's 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 just my opinion. That's how I see it. But what what does that what does that do for you? Knowing that does that does that galvanize you? Does that drive you even harder to say, you know what, I'm going to do even more. <laughs>
1: It just um, it hurts my feelings a little because yes. I wanna I wanna you know I wanna play like I said I'm dance clown I wanna go and play with 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 my parents and the fact that you know the phone doesn't ring from that collective hurts my feelings a little but at the same time it's like well you know that maybe that's that that's hey I can't I, other people's opinions is none of my business. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, if they want to be like that, then maybe that's their loss, you know, because maybe I bring something to the to the table that they, they might not have. But also it's may, maybe it's it's a good thing because it means I can concentrate on my stuff. And, and you know, if the phone was always ringing with other people wanting me to work on their projects, I wouldn't be doing my own. Right. So the fact that uh, the, the fact that there is space for me to um, kind of take that, uh, you know, that sore of energy and had to push it into my own stuff and be like, well, I'm gonna do my own thing and I'll show you. You know, so maybe it's a good thing that it spurs me on. And, and I don't know, that's an interesting uh, dichotomy, right?
0: Well, a gentleman that I listen to at my let, he he has this saying that I use all the time. He says, things happen. Oh gosh, what is it? things happen to you, not for you, or it may be things happen. Yeah. Things happen to you, not for you. And and I believe that some of the things that are happening to you are happening to you for a reason, because it has enabled you to, as you just said, go in a direction that you otherwise may not have been able to go. If you have been working on someone else's stuff. Right. So it it, it could just be the universe Saying that I need Deborah doing this on her own as opposed to being on someone else's stuff, because then she wouldn't be creating this genius over here if she was on John set helping him create his genius. John'll be fine, but we need to get Deborah set up, so that's how I look at it so yeah
1: and that's that's a beautiful way to look at I mean like every day I wake up and and I thank god for for bringing me to to where I am and I'm truly blessed. And, um, you know, so um, it's all good. You know, if they don't wanna play, it's all good. But, but I, I definitely feel like it's, 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 a, it's a male thing because other female directors in town and stuff, I have a good relationship with and, and, and not that I have a bad relationship with the male directors, but, um, but they seem to be more receptive to uh, wanting to reach out and wanting to communicate um whereas it definitely feels like it's a boys club with the boys
0: yes i i totally i totally agree and i totally understand but let's talk about that short film that garnered you four emmy nominations and then wins right
1: it was it was um so it started off as a screenwriting project in film school and the screenwriting project was just four pages and the title was Boy Meets Girl, and that was it. And everyone in the screenwriting class kind of wrote, you know, Boy Meets Girl in a, in, a, in a McDonald's or Boy Meets Girl in a, outside of a casino. And I, I wrote, you know, Robot Boy Meets Frozen Girl, ten thousand years from now, in zero G, in space. And and so it was it was different right off the bat. And that goes back to what we were saying about you know, in a room full of people whispering, and scream so it caught the imagination of the class and then the next semester i was able to actually um, to shoot it as a as a class project and um so i, I put it together and I, I made it for like 300 dollars, and um i got nominated for in 2016 for well I actually got no did i get nominated 15. um i made the short in 2015 i got my nominations and wins in 2016. i got um best short Best editing, best screenplay, and best directing. And um, and I won all four in one go. And that was wow. great in the student category. Uh, they were Southwest production Emmys in the student category. So the wow. stage in front of thousands of people. And and, um, and what's so funny about that is, so I thought it'd be really clever. If if I'm going to get all four, I thought it'd be really cool if I had like a, a little speech prepared for each one of them. And, and each speech would build on, like, uh, you know, humorously on the last speech, right? So I had, like, four little interconnected speeches, right? And then for some reason, I guess because it's a student category, they just gave them to me all at once. Oh, and wow. so I got up on stage, and I'm like, now what? Because I can't do all four speeches. So, you know, so I kind of froze. And, and um, <laughs> I don't even remember what I said. But, wow. but, yeah, that was my plan, blown out of the water,
0: okay well you know you had to pivot but you you talked about it being your purple rain moment i i i, I had to it laugh when right. you when you talked about that so let's talk about that your purple your purple rain moment you get there really? and you tell the story it's not my story to tell
1: well it was it uh what is it palm is it uh, palm springs uh in the in, in the desert in, in california uh where the award ceremony was at this like giant resort and stuff and my my date that was going to go with me canceled last second. So I, I had to go alone, right? And I was really nervous. And I didn't know anyone, right? Like, no one. I'm just like this, you know, College of Southern Nevada student that, that got these four nominations. And here I am at this massive, you know, Emmy award show. And so I didn't know anyone. And, and I went to the bartender and asked for a double. And, and they gave me, like a quadruple. It was like a straight vodka. Okay. So I'm walking around like nervous with this quadruple straight vodka. I said that this, you know, I'm seated. It's uh, it's pre-selected seating and I'm sitting at this table where I don't know anyone and everyone seems to know everyone and everyone's been there before and they know the routine and I'm like really awkward and I'm sitting to myself sipping my goblet vodka. And, um, and it was just so funny because they, 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 they do the nomination, they, they, they give me the awards, I go off on stage, I get all four, I come back with like, you know, all four of my <laughs> arms down on the table. You're and like, hold my table drink. And like looking at me like, who the <laughs> hell are you? And, and you know, and, and then everyone wants to start talking to me. And then by the end of the night, you know, I've made tons of friends and I've been invited to this and been invited to that. And this person wanted to work with me and that person wanted to interview me. And and I describe it like a Purple Rain moment because you know at the end of Purple Rain when Prince stands up on stage and everyone's just staring at him and it's like is he is is, is he gonna bomb or what's gonna happen and then by the end of the song everyone's like Purple Rain you know they all like, <laughs> you know they're into it and, and and it just felt like that like the night the, the 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 arc of the night was just winning over this this crowd of people that I didn't know. And they didn't know me and by the end of the evening a lot of people kind of uh, got to know me and so it was really special
0: so to have your name called once i'm sure is unexpected and amazing and then you have then you hear your name called twice and then again and then again and what what for a three hundred dollar film, yeah, <laughs> and I want people to really, t- to to really hone in on that when you're thinking about well, I need a lot of money to put together an amazing film, three hundred dollar film for but, a well, mis- in fairness, But what was
1: mis- That's a little bit misleading, only because it costs like a thousand bucks to make. But oh. nearly everything that I bought, I, I took back and returned to the store afterwards and got my money. Back. Okay. So, okay. yeah, I was out of pocket 300, but I did have to. Uh, and then the other caveat to that is I did own a lot of film gear myself. There you go. And I did actually own and operate at the time while I was in film school at 4,000 Boutique Soundstage. So oh. I had a lot of advantages. You know, I was like the only kid in film school that had interns carrying my books for me. So I had a lot of um, advantages, but but the reality is at the end of the day, it's $300 a
0: Hey everybody, it's Floyd Marshall, host of A Conversation With. Have you ever listened to a podcast and said to yourself, I'd like to ask him a question? Well, you can just message me with a question or a comment and I'll make sure to respond to it in the very next episode. To your success.
1: Visit anchor.com to send Floyd a question.
0: But you know what? Let's back up right there because everything that you just said, owning your own equipment, but the other caveat to that is relationships. You mm-hmm. had relationships that you were able to tap into that allow you to have access to all of these resources and equipment that allow you to make such a phenomenal film and garner yourself. For Emmys, but and we're we're going to get back to that. But I want to get back to what did that feel like for you?
1: Oh my gosh! Are you kidding me? It felt amazing. It felt surreal, and it felt surreal because I, I wasn't able to share it with any of my friends or, or family, like because I was on my own, and um and it just so happened that my hairdresser was in the audience, and she looked up and she's like Debbie, and and. <laughs> I walk upstairs and she's like, what are you doing winning Emmys? I'm like, what are you doing here? And um, her, her husband is, is also in the business and he, he'd he been nominated for something. But but other than that, I didn't really have anyone to share the experience with. So mm. it felt bittersweet. I mean, it felt amazing. And, and to be honest, the feeling of winning those has, has lasted a long time. I mean, even now when people come over to my apartment, everyone likes to pick up the Emmys and and like take a selfie or everyone loves the emmys and and like here we are talking about it and it was six seven eight eight years ago right and here we are talking about it so so there's been a lot of uh juice or a lot of um kind of residual <clears throat> good vibes and and enjoyment and and proud feelings from it
0: so I, I just have to add another thought to what we were talking about earlier i think there's a slight bit of intimidation as to why those guys are not calling you back because they don't want to have to come over to your apartment to pick you up and stare at four. I don't know if they want to... I'm not
1: obnoxious about it. They're like on the the lowest shelf on my bookshelf. They're not like, you know, by the door on a stand, you know, when you walk in. They're they're, they're really kind of stuff. I I have a lot of awards, so I don't need to, you know, push them all out there in people's faces. But I know what you mean. I mean, if, if, if the tables were turned, maybe I would feel similarly a little bit, I don't know, like kind of intimidated maybe. But um really there's no need. I mean, you know me, like I'm super friendly, I'm easygoing, yes. and um I'm a chatty nutty, And uh I just love film. So and and I and I love good people. So if you if, if you're into film then you've gotten in with me and if you're a good person then we're gonna get along like hell somewhere.
0: Beautiful. So I I'm gonna I wanna talk a little bit, a bit about relationships because as we as we were just saying The fact that you built so many different relationships with people, it actually allowed you to make your and I'm going to keep saying this Emmy Award winning film. So you're going to be hearing that throughout the night, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) But the fact that you built these relationships, it allowed you to do that. So can you just talk a little bit about and the fact that you say on all of your projects, you bring the same people along.
1: I try to, yeah, for the most part, yeah.
0: So can you talk a little bit about what relationships mean for you in this business and how it has helped shape your career?
1: You know, it's interesting, on uh, day one of film school, there's two things they said to us that, um, that really stuck. One of the things was that you need three things to be successful in this business. You need tenacity, luck, and talent. Okay. Um, I've been blessed with all three. So, but the other thing they said is that this is a relationship business. And it's so true. The first people, like people say to me, how do I get to um, be in one of your movies? Like, and I'm like, honestly, the easiest way to be in one of my movies is be my friend. Because if you're an actor and you're my friend, you're on my radar. So when I'm writing, I might even write it for you. In fact, in my movie, Move Me No Mountain, two of the roles were written for actors that I'm friends with. So you know, the first people I'm gonna call are gonna be my friends because I know, you know, how they work, I know how they operate, they know how I work, they know how I operate. We we, we enjoy each other because we're friends, so we enjoy working together. I can, um, you know, I can also maybe beat them down on price or whatever. Because I can be like, you know, come on, hook me up, and I'll I'll, I'll get you back on the next one or whatever, anyway right? Or I'll come wash your car or whatever. <laughs> so, um, so there's that kind of give and take that you have with friendships and with relationships, and it's a relationship business. And you know, it's you meet the same people on the way up as you do on the way down, right? So, um, so. You, you can create great relationships with people that are authentic and genuine and, and with a with a, with a, you know, a vision to be long-lasting and to be, you know, I'll, I'll be good to you now because who knows? I might be asking you for a job in 10 years. I don't know. Do you know what I mean? So, so let's, you know, and at the end of the day, like, let's take the business out of this, right? Let's, let's just look at it for what it's worth. We're all just people trying our best. Right. We're all every single person in the world wants the same exact thing. And do you know what that is? The best possible experience of life. Mm -hmm. Right. So we all want and that means different things to different people. But we all want the best possible experience of life. So let's just let's just have some fun while we do that. Let's enjoy each other. Let's make the right enjoyable and let's do our best work that we can and let's you know create something together that we're proud of and and so of course i'm always gonna go to friends and foster relationships to do exactly that
0: that was one of the most beautiful definitions of relationship building that i've heard ever but that but that's so true we we just want the best experience possible because that's where the best memories are created because not only are you creating phenomenal memories, I mean that's something when you're looking back on something that you've created together and you're watching it on the screen and you're sitting there at the q a it's not just a professional question asking session when you're sitting on stage with people you consider family you know it's 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 things that you can share. Maybe if things weren't going that well on set today, but my family surrounded me and lifted me up, and we got that thing done. So well, that-
1: this is this is why this is why creating milestone. I call them monster memories. This is why creating monster memories is so important, right? If you do the same routine day in, day out, day in, day out, okay, and you go a whole year like that, you will look back on that year and you'll say, "Wow, that went by so fast." Okay, and the only re- the only way to mentally break that up is to create milestone memories, go on a vacation in the summer, you buy a new car in the autumn, whatever, right? When you create a milestone memory and you look back on your time spent, it won't seem like time just disappeared from you. So creating milestone memories is an essential ingredient into creating a, a fulfilling life. Wow.
0: That is, wow. Ladies and gentlemen, I hope you heard that. I hope you wrote it down because that's something let's take film off the table for a second. That's something that you can just add into your everyday life because if we're not careful, it just becomes the doldrums of life and it becomes repetitive. Mm-hmm. And like every day seems to run into the next. So that's phenomenal. I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to remember that one milestone memories. Yeah. Speaking of memories,
1: mm-hmm.
0: Dark Lights, mm-hmm. that is a memorable film.
1: Can it was it? so
0: yes, yes. Oh, amazing. It, it was beautiful. The yeah. sound and the colors. So can you can you talk about that?
1: Sure. So uh, Dark Lights is a ten minute horror. It came out in January last year and now it's available to watch on tubi.com for free as part of the uh, United States horror feature anthology where each short represents a different state in America and Dark Lights is the first short in it and it represents Nevada. And the whole thing's narrated by Pinhead from Hellraiser, so you can wow. watch that right now. But um, but yeah, it came out in January last year. It's had some 57ish honors at um, festivals. In fact, we just got into another festival yesterday.
0: Oh, congratulations! Um,
1: thanks. So it's it, it's done amazing on the international film festival circuit, and it's basically like a um, cyberpunkish noir. Horror. It's I uh, I won't give too much away because I don't want to give the twist. But it's a it's a really stylish horror noir. Uh, I think the budget on it was like uh, maybe $2,000 in total. Uh, It took me three years to make. Wow. Um, But but I did kind of take off a year in the middle because I got fed up with it and then I came (laughs) back to it. And the reason why it took so long, right, is because I was the writer, director, cinematographer, camera girl, drone pilot, colorist, VFX artist, special effects artist, uh, producer, wrote the song at the beginning, sound designer. Editor. Did I say editor? Okay. So so I'm wearing uh, a wardrobe. So I'm, I'm wearing all these hats, right? And and so, which is wonderful because you learn a lot, but it just takes a really long time to make something if you're, if you're trying to do it all yourself.
0: Right.
1: So, but yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's it's only a 10 minute short, but it's, it's pretty memorable because it's really visual and there's a lot of VFX shots in it. You'd be surprised to learn that um, maybe a third of it was filmed in my apartment, um, but it's all just smoke and mirrors and it just doesn't look like, you know, even things like, uh, you may remember there was a, um, like a a cockroach running away or something. Yes. And that was the, um, that was just like in the stairwell of my apartment building. So it was like, like all smoke and mirrors, right? Nothing in that movie is, like even some of the walls and some of the locations are just digital walls and they're fake and it's a lot of smoke and mirrors. In, in fact, there's one, you know, the one shot that is, is really memorable. It's a, it's a really long shot that starts in her eyes. The camera pulls back, it goes through the glass. You see the outside of the building. Yes, the building
0: beautiful. Stuff. Yeah,
1: so, so that shot, for example, the legs, her legs, well, my legs. Oh, wow. You, you know, I only shot this much of her and then the rest is all just, you know, tricks.
0: Wow, wow. Do you plan on we we're, we're we're going to get back to that, but we're going to get back to dark lights, but I have to ask this question because again, the film is so beautifully shot and it was just it was just beautiful the cinematography. Do you plan on ever teaching a class on how to do that and do it the right way because ladies and gentlemen Please go watch this film because then you'll know exactly what I'm talking about when I say how beautifully shot it was. Do yes. you ever plan on teaching teaching yeah. classes on how to do that?
1: You know, it's interesting because I've been thinking about that. Uh, I, I think so. We're going to do a relaunch of my website in a couple months, and on that, I'm going to start offering some uh, one-on-one tuition on on some different um, aspects of film, whether it be screenwriting or cinematography or VFX and I may even do some you know I may put together a course like a subscription course I feel that there are so many out there and the market is so saturated but at the same time I feel that I I have a a, you know a unique perspective on on how to combine you know different disciplines and and use like different things and, and think differently and and you know I get a lot of inspiration from his secret to creativity you get two separate completely unrelated ideas and you smush them together and you come up with a with a new thing Mm -hmm. so I tend to do that a lot with my um you know with my creative ideas and stuff and I I think it'd be interesting to have some kind of uh master class where I where I do one-on-one or or group training so we're looking into it and I think I'm going to do that on my website but it's it's difficult because you know you got to choose your battles because it just takes so long to put them together that often I'm I'm pretty cramped for time.
0: Oh wow, with that because that that would definitely that would be a class that I would take because I'm, oh, okay. I'm I'm not on on that side anymore. But much like yourself, I love learning, and I like knowing how things work so that in the future, if I'm talking to someone that's in VFX, and they use a term or they use a word or they say we did this shot i know what they're talking about
1: right right right
0: which is always good
1: yeah it's good i mean um you know it's interesting because you 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 develop a deeper appreciation of film which which can be annoying because sometimes you just want to watch a film and enjoy it as an audience member right and just let it kind of go through you but but then sometimes like you know i watch a film and and all i can think about is how many people there are standing outside of the frame and what's going on and what they and how long did it take between the last shot and this shot? And, and did they have lunch in between? And, you know, I'm thinking about all the, you know, and sometimes that's not fun. You know, sometimes sometimes I have to, uh, you, you know, get a little twisted just to enjoy a film as an audience member. You know, I'll smoke a joint or drink a couple beers just so that I can kind of get out of myself and just enjoy it like an audience, right? Instead of, you know, being so analytical about it.
0: The struggle is real, Deborah. Because sometimes I'll be sitting with my wife, and we'll be watching a film, and I'll turn to her and say, "Well, did you see?" She's like, "Would you please stop?" Because I do the exact same. I say, "But did you see that?" Well, did you? Hear? She was like, "Can we can we just enjoy the film?" So it's hard to because you're you're in it every day, so right. it's kind of hard to to turn that off. Yeah. So I totally understand. What, what you mean by that, but back to dark lights. There was a scene in the film when she is walking outside and she meets the gentleman. Right. And as she's walking away, he has some choice words. And it's interesting because when he said that, something in me said, he should not have said that. I did not know why that thought popped into my head. But well, for some uh, reason, I said, "Man, he shouldn't have said that."
1: Well, it's funny because it's it's he uses the C word, right? And and yes. in America, in America, we we have word police, and people get very upset with certain words. Whereas in England, where I'm originally from, we're a little bit more um, liberal and understanding of all words are on the table. Right? Mm-hmm. There's no words that you're not allowed to say, and it, it, it seems like every year here in America, there's another word added to the list of things we're not supposed to say or not allowed to say and i and i think that's wrong i think i think it's not the word that's the problem i think it's the context in which you use the word right so anyways so he says a word that, that you know is going to get a visceral reaction from uh, you know an american audience and it was funny because mark redstock the actor that, that, that played the character he's, he's he's a really great friend he's a really sweet guy and he had a real hard time saying so he didn't even want to say it and and you know it's um, it's downtown Las Vegas, and I'm having it shouted out. And I'm like louder louder, 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 you know, so everyone can hear you. And he's like, Dad, and he had a real hard time with it. But um, uh, what w- what's funny is we were thinking about having T-shirts made up with that line.
0: Ooh, oh boy, I don't know. <laughs> <Well>. <laughs> I don't know happened. how well that would have gone over. It never happened. You know, I guess you're like, Debbie, I know you're creative, but I think that's a, mm, that's, no, that's not, that's not <laughs> going to that's,
1: work. That's, the, that's part of the problem with my brand, right? Because I've got like a little bit of an edgy punk rock attitude because I grew up in, with, with with punk rock and everything in England and, um, and I've always been a rebel. So I've got that kind of, you know, punk rock, edgy attitude. So sometimes I'm like, hey, let's do this. And my team are like, mm, no. So <laughs> Luckily, I have some good people around me that kind of keep me in check when I go off the reservation a bit.
0: Beautiful, beautiful. But yeah, but that that film, and I was not expecting that ending.
1: Well, that's why I don't want to give too much away, because it's a bit of a, a, a shock ending. And... But what's what's really exciting is uh, that that the 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 effects on the girl's face that was all CGI that wasn't makeup. Wow! So that was pretty cool.
0: So you definitely need to do a class.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think I think that would be. I'd love to do a filmmaking class because you know I I always you know I've taught individuals personally just friends and stuff, and I really enjoy teaching. I really love sharing knowledge. I think uh, it's one of the great joys of life to share knowledge. And, you know, I definitely have um, very distinct views on, on, on how to, you know, get the work done.
0: Yeah, and, and and your 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 shooting style is very unique. I would love to see this as a feature film because I would love to see what happens with her next.
1: Right, I think it's, you know, it's on the cards down the road, you know, one day. Um, the, one of the reasons why it took three years to make and why I took a year off in the middle is because originally it was gonna be a feature film. We could never raise the money. And I got so despondent and discouraged with trying to raise the money that I literally took a year off from filmmaking. And I was like, to hell with this. I'm gonna go and, you know, work in a completely different industry in the financial industry. And I was miserable and I didn't do very good in the financial industry. And then I came back to Dark Lights and, and, you know, with that renewed passion. And I was like, well, let's just make it as a proof of concept. And then because it was so successful, that gave me the juice and the access to the money to make my feature film, uh, Move Me a Mountain. So, um, you know, sometimes, some, like I said, life's a river. Sometimes you, you have a plan to go this way, but God, she has, you know, other ideas and, and she, she'll she take you a different direction and you'll get to the emotional place that you wanted to go, but it was a different journey to get there.
0: Yes. Yes. But you know what? You always end up at the destination. Right. And that's that's the beautiful thing. It, the, the road, the journey, the, it's, it's interesting, and especially in this business, the road that you think is straight will all of a sudden, as you get closer, will have all these twists and turns. Oh, I didn't see that pothole. Oh, I didn't see that detour. And that's Well, that's, one of, that's one of
1: the most crucial skills to be a good filmmaker. So you've got to be able to pivot you yes. got to be able to pivot, mentally, physically, everything, right? You've got to be able to pivot. You know, you plan to shoot it um, at the train station on a beautiful sunny day, but then when you get there, it's pouring down with rain. What are you going to do? Or, or you have a 4 p.m. you know call time, and you get a call on the way to set that your actress missed a flight. What are you going to do? Or, you know, someone who's going to come in with that $20,000 decides at the last second they're not what are you going to do? Right? It's all about being mentally agile and being able to pivot and being able to be creative, not just, you know, artistically, but be a, be a problem solver. And and because all filmmaking is, is an insane amount of problems. And you just gotta you know, unlock each one and figure it out and get on to the next and, and, and just keep problem solving. And that that is what filmmaking is. And I was speaking to someone on Clubhouse recently, and, and she was telling me that she's about to make her Second short, and I think she was she had a really large budget of tens of thousands of dollars, and i said don't 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 save your money right because there 's two ways to fix anything in Hollywood. you can spray it with the money hose or you can get crafty mm-hmm. right and at the end of the day, anyone can fix a problem with the money hose, but few people can be crafty and, and get a wicked solution right so you, you know when when you 're in the position of who do I want to work with, who do I want to hire, who do I want to you know, help elevate to that next level. You're going to pick the crafty person, not the person who's going to juice your pockets.
0: That is so true. And the young lady that you just mentioned, see, this is why it's so good to have mentors. This is why it's so good to have coaches. And this is why it's good to learn this as a business. So when someone like you says that to her, I truly hope that, after you were done, and she probably didn't do it, one of the first things that I would have done is channeled you and said, "Can I bring right. you on as a consultant?" And some of that money that you were going to give away for no reason, she could have paid you a consulting fee and brought you on as, as a consultant, and had you show her how to do it.
1: Well, I'm, the- not, I'm not that trying, you know, carve out other people's money for myself. But oh that's no, but I mean, she, she she listens and she she takes my advice so hopefully she'll, she'll 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 you know pick a pick the right path and she'll do the right thing mm-hmm. you know ev- everyone knows what the right thing is for them at the time and, and we all make choices and we live by them and kumbaya this this is the way
0: yeah well that's good well i, I wish her luck and i hope she uh, taps you and taps you often but <laughs> writes you a check when she does it but That'd let's be- yeah, that's phenomenal. And but let's talk about "Move Me No Mountain" because when I read the um description, this is something that I definitely want to see. So tell us a little bit about that upcoming film.
1: Sure. So it's my first feature film as a writer, director, editor, and cinematographer. um channeling Kubrick on his first movie, and uh, it's called "Move Me No Mountain." Uh, it's a 90 minute feature film. It's set present day in Las Vegas, and it's about a real estate agent. Who can't get over the crushing guilt of her daughter's death, so she decides to peace out from society and voluntarily walk out and become homeless on the streets of Las Vegas as a way of punishing herself. And so the movie really kind of um, explores the realities of m- modern-day um, homelessness in urban America, and um, and it's it's a narrative and it's a story of hope in the end because. Um, through the arc, of the, I don't want to give away the ending, but through the arc of the movie, there's a redemption, you know, arc to it. But um, in order to deal with the movie with dignity and authenticity, we, uh, my, my producer Patrick Woods and I, we um, contacted uh, Las Vegas. Uh, the, Oh my gosh by now las vegas rescue mission okay and they set up uh, their amazing organization in town uh, who provide uh, a lot of meals and shelter to the unsheltered and they basically set up interviews for us to uh, interview people that used to be unsheltered that are now in homes and so i was able to um really get a lot of um you know unique first-hand perspective on the realities of that world and that life. And then a lot of people don't know there's 700 miles of storm drains under the city in Las Vegas. And there's about 3000 people that live under there. So when you're walking on the famous Las Vegas Strip, your feet are literally four feet above the heads of people that are living under, under the city. And Shine the Light Foundation is another um, organization mm-hmm. here in town that does phenomenal work. And they, they took me down into the tunnels to meet people and to see the world and see the life. And I, I, I would spend time in the tunnels, you, you know, getting to know people and handing out socks and, you know, sharing a cigarette or whatever and hearing people's stories. And um, because of all that, we, would be, we were able to really make the movie rich. And, and also to give back, we're, we're giving 10% of the proceeds of the movie to four organizations in Vegas that help those most vulnerable. Now, the movie's almost finished. I'm pretty excited about it. There's over 100 people involved on the movie. It's nearly finished, and we're actually going to do a test screening on June 24th at the Nevada Women's Film Festival, downtown Las Vegas. Oh, wow. and um, Tickets are going on sale, I think, tomorrow on, on their website. But if you want to know any information about the movie or even see a quick little trailer about it, you can go to movemenomountain.com. Mm-hmm. Type in your email, uh, get on our email list, and we, we won't spam you, I promise. And, um, but we will let you know when there's like red carpet events or screenings or, you know, ways to uh, help out with the homeless community. And, you know, our, our goal with the movie is really to uh, bring a, a global awareness to the issue and, um, and also to tell a, a compelling story. And what I'm really excited about is we show Vegas in a way that Vegas has never been seen in a movie. Like mm. Most movies show Vegas, like the casinos, and that's it. In our movie, we're in the high rises of the, the skyscrapers above the city. We're in the tunnels below the city. We're in the suburbs of Sublin that are all fancy. We're in the scuzzy downtown parts. We're, in the, we're on the strip. We're in the desert. We, we literally use every part of the buffalo in this movie. And I think it's people are going to get a real kick for seeing Vegas in a way that they've never seen it before.
0: Wow, I'm I'm really excited about about seeing it. Now, the um June 24th screening, will that only be an in-person screening or will that be a hybrid no, virtual? No, it's
1: just, and- that. it's just an in-person screening for 150 people. I'm pretty sure the ticket's going to go real quick because there was 100 people that worked on the movie. And it's part mm. of the Nevada Women's Film Festival where I was voted Nevada Woman Filmmaker of the Year. So they're going to honor me at the festival and then do a screening and so we're going to use it as a test screening and gauge audience reaction and then tighten it up a little bit in the months after that and then, and then figure out the release
0: strategy. Okay. so yeah, cause that, that was, that was my next question. Release strategy. So are you, and I don't want you, want you to give too much away because, sure. but do you plan on doing the festival circuit with this or are you talking straight to streaming or the- theatrical, what, what are your thoughts?
1: Well, there's three possible paths. We can either go straight to distribution. We can do a top tier festival strategy, which is Sundance, Cannes, Berlin, South by Southwest, Toronto, and Tri- um, Tribeca, uh, and Montreal. Or we can, um, you know, walk in into Netflix or Hulu. Um, but if we walked in into Netflix and Hulu, that's the least likely of the scenarios and they may even want us to do a top tier festival strategy anyway because Mm. they can then say, oh, we found this movie at Sundance, it's great publicity for them. So the decision really is, do we go straight to distribution or do we do a top tier festival strategy? And honestly, it's too early to say because it really depends on the quality of the movie. And I'm too close to the trees to see the woods. I think the movie is great, but um, I've been living with it for a year and a half. I'm not the best, you know, judge of it. I, I mean, I've kind of got those butterflies in my stomach where I'm kind of excited about it, so I know we've got something good. But how good, is not really for me to say. So we have a distribution consultant and a festival consultant, and um, in the coming weeks, uh, they'll be watching the movie, plus we'll gauge the, the, the audience's reaction from the test screening and the comment cards. And based on all that, we'll decide whether we'll go straight to distribution, which means you know, Amazon, Tubi, Pluto, all that stuff, or, uh, sorry, not Pluto, that's TV. Or um, whether we're going to do a top-tier festival strategy, in which case we would, the, the festival circuit last year and Sundance in January would be the first one.
0: Well, the beauty, the the, the the great thing about that would be, if if that's the route that you guys happen to go, you're actually sitting on a film with 57 film festival nods so it wouldn't be like they were looking at like well she obviously knows what she's doing you know i think
1: think actually the key to it is having a festival consultant because regardless of who you are whatever Mm -hmm. if people at sundance don't know who you are they get twelve thousand submissions a year yeah they don't even watch all the submissions but if you have a festival consultant who knows the programmers and has a relationship with the people that put on the festival and says, hey, you know what? I've got this great new client, Debbie Richards. She's got Emmys, she's done a great short. She's got this amazing movie. I think you guys should watch it. Then that's the way to get in. But all that takes a lot of money and a lot of juice. So we, we need the next six months to, uh, you know, raise additional money mm. to, to do our international film festival, you know, top tier festival strategy. I mean, if we go to Sundance, right? Sundance the hotel's eight hundred dollars a night. Wow! And the festival runs now two weeks, wow. so it's just getting more and more expensive, ridiculous, right? And and so I think a producer told me ten years ago that when she takes a movie to Sundance, she budgets his she budgets fifty thousand dollars for a good Sundance showing, and that was ten years ago. Oh my because, god! Because you got to fly in your new director. Well, that's me your um, DP, well that's me, <laughs> your producer, your lead actress, your lead actor, you've got to uh, buy uh, all, all the hotel rooms, you've got to um, get you know, transportation for you and your crew when you're there, so you've got to hire a local driver, you've got to buy tickets to give away to the press, you've got to get print and advertise p at, at the festival, so, um, so it's a super expensive you know, thing. And that's just Sundance, which is up the road from me in Vegas. You know, let alone Cannes, you know, if we're going to the south of France and taking the circus there. So we have to raise, you know, a chunk of money. If we, if our team and everyone says this is a, a top tier festival movie and and the, the advantage of doing that is you, you, you do something like Sundance or Cannes and you can get a deal where someone says, you know, Netflix, we'll, we'll buy the movie outright. Here's a chunk of change. You want and done. Deal done. Big payday for everyone and you can move on whereas if you go straight to distribution we'll get our money back but it'll take you know two to four well we'll double our money but it'll take you know two four or five years right so it's two very different strategies Mm -hmm. two different very different worlds so we're we're, we're just trying to figure that and navigate that path and it it starts off with gauging people's reaction to the movie so it's kind of getting exciting because it's getting to that point where we're showing a couple people at my house and we're gearing up for the screening and, and, and so yeah so it's pretty exciting but I'll send you a link to the rough cut, and you can. Tell Please, me I would,
0: done. I would love to see it. I, I can't because it, it sounds, it sounds phenomenal, and it, it sounds like a really compelling story. And I, and I really, I really wish you, and the entire team, the best of luck. But, Thanks. you know, I don't even have to ask what's next because, that's what's next.
1: Well, actually, I've got or, the next two movies lined up. So um, the well, what's,
0: well what's next Deborah Richards what's next
1: well the next thing I always said I would never do a documentary but as Kubrick once said Your movies pick you and um, I, I told you I used to be a flat bartender flipping bottles and stuff some people from the bartending world some old friends interviewed me a couple months ago and we were chatting about it and we said, you know what, we should, we should, we should probably do a documentary about flair bartending, flipping bottles. Um, so we're doing that and shooting for that starts in July. Oh, wow. And, and uh, the movie's called Shaken and Stirred. And oh. It's the history of flair bartending. And we're interviewing flair bartenders from all around the world that have been pivotal to the movement, including people like John Bandy, who taught Tom Cruise for cocktail and, and every player in, in the world. And we're also following three competitors as they prep for this big competition in Florida in uh, September. So we're gonna kind of follow them and intercut it with these interviews of all these people. Uh, and we're gonna see some great flair bartending shot cinematically in slow motion and stuff. And so there's never been a documentary about the subject. And mm-hmm. my my partners are legends uh, in the industry, mm-hmm. Dean Sunil and, and Rob Houston, and I'm partnering up again with my long-term collaborator, Patrick Watts. And, and so I've got a great team. And so we're doing that. So hopefully this time next year, I'll be with that project where I am with Mountain. And then the project that I'm shooting next year is, uh, is a feature uh, fictional narrative called My Own Private Nazi. It's a thriller set mm. in Idaho in 1980. And that's all I can say about it right now.
0: Okay. Okay. So where can people find you?
1: The best place to find me is, is, funnily enough, on Instagram. I love Instagram. At at Debbie and Pink is my handle. And people can find me here. You can message me here. I'm friendly. I'll speak to you. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, I kind of live my life on Instagram and and post pics almost daily. daily. I've been slacking a bit lately, but I share my life and my journey there. And, you know, uh, a lot of my friends are on Instagram, so I follow, you know, like I wake up in the morning and I see what everyone's up to and, And and so I love Instagram. So yeah, follow me there because that's always kind of a good hub to everything else. Gotta get verified. Uh, I just reminded myself. And um, so yeah, I love Instagram. So that's where people can find me.
0: Phenomenal. Well, Deborah this was such an amazing interview i am so it's glad that, that me- the interviewer.
1: well thank you so much thank yeah, you usually people ask the same questions over and over and they ask the question and then they move on to the next question but you really kind of listen and explore and you're a fantastic interviewer so thank i just want to give a quick sh- shout out to please assistant, shout them out AJ Dean, because she set this up yes. and aj i know she's watching and she's wonderful and she's the best assistant in the world so I just want to give her a massive shout out for for setting up such a great interview, with such a great interview. So thank you
0: guys. Thank you, and you're definitely going to have to come back after the debut of Move Me No Mountain because we're going to have to talk about the absolutely amazing and phenomenal reception that this film is about to receive. I'm putting it out there in the universe. Thank you. I'm manifesting it. You know, I I really. I just know that this film is going to do re- really well. It really is because, you know, it's a subject that is not often talked about, which is homelessness. I was out in Vegas a couple of years ago and had no idea that I was actually, as I'm walking on the strip, having an amazing time and in, in the, the, the bars and in the hotels with people just drinking and dancing and laughing that underneath my feet were people. Right. That that is that is
1: And that's you know, I love Vegas. I love this town. I've lived here twenty three years and but one of the biggest dichotomies about Vegas is the fact that there's this insane wealth above and insane poverty below. And I've always been interested in stories of of, of, of you know, these polar opposites, whether it be you know, love and hate or 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 you know, wealth and poverty or, or whatever. I, I, I love that juxtaposition of of, of, of conflict. And, um, and Vegas, I find fascinating like that, for, for all these reasons. I mean, I saying to someone the other day, we got the best chefs in the world, but nothing grows here. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just such a place of contradictions. So um, Vegas is definitely a character in my movie. And um, the homelessness uh, issue or the unsheltered issue is something very near and dear to my heart. I've seen it all over the world. And uh, I think we're all just three bad choices away from being unsheltered ourselves. Yes. So I think it's a good cautionary tale. And uh, I can't wait to share the story with the
0: world. Well, thank you so much. And thank you so much for bringing, bringing uh, again, bringing that to light. And again, thank you so much for gracing the stage of A Conversation With. And ladies and gentlemen, I truly thank you for spending the last hour and some change of your time With myself and deborah and i hope that you've learned some things that you can immediately incorporate into your own filmmaking endeavors and please if you are not following her please undo that problem and follow her because as you can see and as you've heard she is such a wealth of real film knowledge and she gets the job done the proof is in the pudding i don't have to say anything the proof is in the pudding so please make sure that you're following following deborah and again i cannot wait to have you back after your film premieres but in the meantime ladies and gentlemen please visit us on apple and all those other streaming platforms subscribe leave a comment all that other good stuff and until next week i will leave you guys as i always do love this like a hobby but treat it like a business and on that note, Deborah, again, thank you so much. I truly enjoyed this. And you have thank an you, absolutely Deborah. awesome night. And I'll see you on Clubhouse.
1: <laughs> absolutely. Right. Thank you so much, it. All right. Take inspired. care. Thank you.
0: All right. Bye bye. Bye bye.